Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It was Christmas Eve 1885, and Patrick and Matilda Rooney were feeling in a festive mood. They were a farming couple in their 70s who lived just outside Seneca, Illinois. That night they invited their farmhand, John Larson, to knock back a few drinks with them. Rooney had picked up a jug of good whiskey earlier that week, and as the night wore on, they were all feeling full of warm Christmas cheer. Larson got pretty drunk that night, right alongside his employers, who both knew their way around the bottle as well. Late that evening, Larson finally called it quits, knowing full well that, Christmas or not, he'd have to get up early the following morning to work the farm. So he wished the Roonies a Merry Christmas, and then he stumbled upstairs to sleep it off. Sometime in the middle of the night, John Larson woke with a coughing fit. He didn't know what was making it so difficult to breathe, but eventually, whatever it was, passed, and he was able to roll over and fall back asleep. He awoke again in the wee hours of that Christmas morning. It was still dark outside. Despite the throbbing in his head and the scratchiness of his throat, he knew he had to get up and start work. But as John Larson slowly regained consciousness, he also began to realize something was amiss. For one thing, the pillows and sheets he slept on were filthy. Every flat surface all around him appeared to be covered in a thin layer of dark soot. There was something about the air inside the bedroom as well. It was unusually warm and smelled of something like burning leaves. Larson went downstairs and headed first to the Rooney's bedroom to rouse the old man. When the farmhand pushed open the door, he was stunned to find Patrick Rooney laid out in the bed, quite dead. The old man's eyes were fixed on the ceiling and his mouth gaped open. It wasn't apparent what had killed him, but it did appear that he had died in some distress. Larson stumbled back out of the room and went to go look for Matilda Rooney. He didn't find her. Or, to be more specific, he didn't find very much of her, that is. There, in the middle of the kitchen, John Larson found a large blackened hole burned clean through the wooden floor. It was maybe three or four feet across, and the edges were scorched black. When he peered down inside the hole, he could see a pile of grayish ash down below. That was when he noticed something lying alongside the hole that made him gasp. It was the charred remains of a human foot, and it was the only identifiable piece of Matilda Rooney that were still intact. Although initially, once the police arrived to investigate the bizarre scene, there was some speculation that John Larson may have murdered his employers. They even arrested him for a time, but the police eventually determined that the man was telling the truth, and that he really had been asleep in the bedroom upstairs the entire time. Police were able to tell this much because so much soot had risen through the house at the time of the fire, 
that it had settled all around John Larson's body, leaving a big man-shaped white imprint where he had lain all night. Realizing then that Larson was innocent, the police were then forced to consider other even less appealing possibilities. The coroner reported that Patrick Rooney had died of smoke inhalation, suffocating on the fumes from the fire that had consumed his wife. Matilda Rooney's cause of death was more difficult to pin down. Sure, it was obvious the woman had burned to death, but what could have caused such an intense blaze that it would have completely incinerated her? Investigators determined that the heat from the fire must have risen to around 2,500 degrees Fahrenheit, or 1,400 degrees Celsius if you prefer, in order to have so thoroughly consumed Matilda's remains, reducing her bones to ash. Fire investigators were unable to find any external cause for the blaze, nor could they explain how such a fire could have been contained to such a relatively small area without burning the rest of the house down. All of this isn't to say that the investigators didn't have some explanation for Matilda Rooney's death. It just wasn't one that made any sense, nor did it sit well with anyone. They had a name for this particular phenomena, one that stokes up controversy to this very day. They called it Spontaneous Human Combustion. I'm Nate Hale, hoping this Christmas that chestnuts will be the only thing roasting by an open fire. And this is The Conspirators. The ancient Greek story of Prometheus tells of how the hero defied the gods and stole fire from Mount Olympus, giving it to us mere mortals here on Earth. You can find plenty of similar folk legends throughout other cultures. The Cherokee speak of Grandmother Spider who crossed over into the Land of Light and stole the sun, bringing fire to her people. Hebrew mythology tells of how it was the fallen angel Azazel who gave humanity the knowledge of how to create and harness fire. In the African Ikoi mythology, it was the creator god Obasi Osao who refused to give fire to humanity, so a little boy stole it and brought it to his village. Man's ability to not only harness fire, but to use it to suit our needs remains one of the most gigantic leaps forward in human development. Without it, we wouldn't have the clay tablets upon which ancient writings still survive to this day. Man may never have ventured out of their caves or survived the Ice Age. Without man's ability to create and control fire, it's not hyperbole to suggest that none of us would be here today. And yet, despite our intellectual development and our ability to harness tremendous forces all the way down to the level of splitting the atom, there are those who believe that we're not so in control of fire as we'd like to think, and that inside each and every one of us is a ticking time bomb waiting for its chance to come out. The belief that human beings can spontaneously burst into flames with no external heat source is one that has persisted throughout history. In most instances, the victim's remains are found nearly completely reduced to ash while the surrounding area is barely affected by whatever it was that caused them to catch fire. The actual term spontaneous human combustion didn't appear in print until around 1746, but even before that, people were writing about it. The earliest known case of spontaneous human combustion occurred in the 15th century to an Italian knight named Polonus Vorstius. If you research the case, you won't find out much about the man's life other than he 
considered himself something of a ladies' man, and he really, really liked to drink. According to the story, in 1470, Vorstius was at home enjoying a bottle of wine with his friends and family when he began to feel strange. Not lightheaded, silly drunk strange, but something terribly wrong strange. It was as if something was welling up inside him. Something that burned terribly. The man's horrified parents could do little more than stand by as Vorstius stood up from his seat and began to belch up fire. Gouts of flame roared out of his mouth like a furnace. Soon the man was completely engulfed by the flames. He collapsed to the floor and within minutes, his body was reduced to little more than ashes. This event was first described in a 1641 book of strange medical phenomena written by Danish physician Thomas Bartolin. Another well-known story can be found in the aptly named book from 1763, De Incendius Corporis Humani Spontaneus, written by the French author Jonas Dupont. In this book, Dupont tells the story of the mysterious death of an innkeeper named Nicole Millet. All that was found of Madame Millet's remains were some fragments of skull, a few pieces of vertebrae, and most oddly of all, her lower legs below the knee which remained mostly untouched by the fire. A straw bed near her corpse and several wooden items near her body were completely unscathed, even though it had to have been a massive inferno to so thoroughly consume her. Madame Malay's husband was arrested and tried for her murder, but he would eventually be acquitted after a physician testified at his trial that his wife's death had been an act of God. Now, in each of these cases I've described, there has been one unifying factor. The fact that all the victims were known to be heavy drinkers. All the way up to the 19th century, there was a widespread belief that heavy alcohol consumption was what caused people to suddenly burst into flames. On the surface, it even makes a degree of sense considering alcohol is flammable. So it would stand to reason that consuming too much alcohol would therefore make you equally combustible. One of the earliest known cases that seems to directly contradict this theory involves a 62-year-old countess named Cornelia de Bandy, who in April 1731 mysteriously burned to death in the middle of the night. One of her maids came across the shocking scene the following morning, after the Contessa did not get up and come downstairs at her usual time. Everything in the Contessa's bedroom was covered in a layer of soot. Her bedroom window was coated with a greasy yellowish substance. About four feet away from the bed lie a heap of ashes, and lying next to that heap were the Contessa's legs from the knee down, untouched by the flames and still clad in her silk stockings. On the opposite side of the pile lie a small portion of the Contessa's skull and charred brain matter. If you were to look at it from a bird's eye view, you could mentally fit together where the rest of the Contessa's body should have been. Besides the leg and bits of skull, the only parts of the Contessa left that hadn't been completely reduced to ash were three of her fingers lying off to one side. All of this was written about in gruesome detail by a clergyman named Giuseppe Bianchini. What was also remarkable, the priest wrote, was that so little the bedroom had been damaged by the fire. Being a practical man, the priest attempted to discount all the potential sources of ignition where the woman may have caught fire. It was the 18th century, of course, and the room did contain several candles and oil lamps. But none of these showed any signs that they had been the source of the flames. Nor, the priest pointed out, could such a blaze have ever grown hot enough to completely incinerate a human being. 
Being keen, he was well aware of the widespread belief that heavy drinking was the cause of spontaneous human combustion. But he also knew that the Contessa de Bandy was a known teetotaler. So he ruled that out as being the cause as well. The best solution he could come up with was that the woman had been struck down by God. One person who read Bianchini's account of the Contessa's gruesome demise and became fascinated by it was none other than Charles Dickens. The most famous writer of the Victorian era was fascinated by the concept of spontaneous human combustion and also became one of its biggest proponents. Dickens mentions it in A Christmas Carol, and then again most notably in his novel Bleak House, where the character Old Crook is described as being consumed by flames in a manner similar to descriptions of Contessa de Bandy. By that point in history, the mainstream scientific community dismissed the concept of spontaneous human combustion as nothing more than a fanciful myth. It was an age of reason, and many mainstream scientists often labored to debunk the sort of superstitious nonsense people believed in. Things like fairies, spiritualism, and of course the idea that people could suddenly burst into flames. Keep in mind, Dickens wasn't the only literary heavyweight who wrote about spontaneous human combustion during the 18th and 19th centuries. Herman Melville, Washington Irving, and Mark Twain all wrote stories about characters who mysteriously went up in smoke. Leading the charge against Dickens' belief in spontaneous human combustion was his friend George Lewis. He was a physiologist by trade and a practical man through and through. He was also one of those aforementioned scientists who took an active role in debunking the paranormal. Lewis took personal offense that a writer of such renown as Charles Dickens would propose such a preposterous notion as that of spontaneous human combustion. Now, Lewis conceded that writers of fiction did need to sometimes bend the truth in order to tell a good story. But he insisted that writers couldn't just bend the rules of physics and pass that off as truth. At the time, Dickens was publishing Bleak House in monthly installments, so the following month after Lewis announced his descent, Dickens wrote a segment about an inquest into Old Crook's death in which he mocked the critics as a bunch of eggheads too blind to see the truth before their very eyes. After that, Dickens continued to send his friend Lewis private letters describing documented cases of spontaneous combustion, including that of the Contessa de Bandy. Lewis responded with reams of paper explaining the science behind why spontaneous human combustion was impossible. The two of them both dug in their heels and refused to concede at all to one another. Their feud carried on for ten months until the final installment of Bleak House was published in September 1853, after which the pair reportedly agreed to never speak of the matter again. You really can't talk about spontaneous human combustion without discussing what is almost certainly the most famous case in history. Mary Reeser was a 67-year-old retiree who lived alone in her apartment in St. Petersburg, Florida. On July 1st, 1951, Mary's son Richard and her landlady Pansy Carpenter both stopped by to see her. They left her around 9 o'clock that evening. Mary remained in her favorite recliner as the two of them showed themselves out. The following morning, Pansy Carpenter was greeted by a telegraph delivery boy who had a message for Mary. The landlady signed for the letter and carried it up to Mary's apartment to hand it to her personally. But Mary didn't respond when she knocked, so she thought she might just pop in for a moment and leave the message inside. But when Carpenter grabbed hold of the doorknob, it burned her hand. 
Worried there might be a fire inside, the landlady dashed downstairs and found a pair of house painters who were working in another one of the units. They followed Pansy back up to Mary's apartment and opened the door, only to be hit by a massive wave of heat that washed over them like opening an oven. There they found Mary Reeser, or at least what was left of her. Most of Mary's beloved recliner she sat in had disintegrated into a blackened pile of rubble. And with it, so had Mary. There's a pretty famous photograph you can find of the scene that was taken by fire investigators. Most of the chair has been reduced to a charred black mass. Clearly visible off to one side is the most intact part of Mary Reeser that still remained, an unburned foot and leg from just below the knee. Firemen dug through the rubble and also found the charred remains of Mary's liver, a couple of vertebrae, and Mary's skull. But even that defied logic because, according to some reports, the skull had shrunk down to the size of a teacup. Local investigators were flummoxed. They asked the FBI to come in and see if they could figure out what happened. The FBI determined that Mary had taken a sleeping pill and fallen asleep while smoking a cigarette. Mary's son Richard was a doctor and he confirmed that she did this often. So, that's a simple answer, right? The old woman fell asleep while smoking and lit herself on fire. Except the medical examiner also determined that for Mary's body to have been so thoroughly consumed, the fire would have needed to be more than 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit and it burned for over three hours. That's the approximate temperature and amount of time a modern crematorium uses to consume a body. And even then, most crematoriums have to grind up the bone fragments that remain even after undergoing all that heat. Mary's skeleton was almost completely reduced to ash. It seems difficult to understand how, if Mary Reeser had fallen victim to such an intense fire, the rest of the apartment didn't go up in flames with it. Most of the damage appears to have been limited to the one corner of the room right around the recliner. And all of that occurred above a level of four feet off the floor. Several items above that height showed signs of being exposed to extreme heat, including candles that had melted into puddles of wax, and a mirror that warped and cracked. Plastic light switches melted, and a thin layer of greasy soot coated the walls. But despite these objects that were obviously superheated by whatever caused the fire, other combustible items around the room, like a stack of newspapers nearby, remained untouched. Police consulted a forensic anthropologist and fire investigator named Dr. Wilton Krogman. He was unable to explain what had happened, and it disturbed him deeply. He had been involved in more than 30 fire investigations over the past two decades, and he had never in all his days come across a scene quite like that one in Mary Reeser's apartment. He was so shaken by the incident, especially the sight of Mary's inexplicably shrunken skull, that years later he would write how, were he living in the Middle Ages, he'd have been forced to determine the cause of the fire to be black magic. Although most cases of spontaneous human combustion have occurred when the victim is somewhere alone, leaving others to have to piece together a cause of death, there are some cases where it's claimed that people have burst into flame in front of eyewitnesses. On August 27, 1938, a young woman named Phyllis Newcomb was out dancing with her fiancé. And let me tell you, the two of them were hot. I mean, really hot. More so Phyllis and her boyfriend, to be specific. Around midnight, as the two of them twirled around the dance floor, Phyllis's dress began to smolder, then suddenly burst into flame. You can find differing versions of what followed. 
One version says that within minutes, Phyllis's entire body was consumed by flames and reduced to nothing but ash. But there's an alternate version that says several people in the dance hall worked together to beat out the flames, which seemed to be coming somehow out of Phyllis, rather than burning around her. The young woman suffered severe burns over most of her body, and she lingered on for another week and a half in the hospital before finally dying of hypostatic pneumonia. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Following Phyllis's death, her fiancé demanded a full investigation into what had caused the fire. He suspected an errant cigarette butt must have been tossed in her direction and caused her dress to catch flame. The fiancé had the dress tested, but no evidence could be found that this was what caused Phyllis to burn alive. In 2011, in Ireland, a coroner actually listed spontaneous human combustion as the official cause of death of an elderly man named Michael Flaherty. The fire department responded to an alarm that went off in the man's home and found nothing left of Michael other than a small pile of human ash. Likewise, in Pennsylvania in 1966, an elderly man named Dr. John Bentley suffered a similar fate when his cremated remains were found inside his bathroom. When a meter reader entered the apartment to check on the 92-year-old man, he noticed a strange bluish smoke lingering in the air. All that remained of Dr. Bentley was the lower half of his right leg. Like the story of Matilda Rooney, a hole had burned clean through the bathroom floor, and John Bentley's ashes had fallen through into the basement below. Fire investigators suggested that perhaps the old man had been carrying a box of matches in his robe pocket to light his pipe when the box caught on fire. They also came up with the alternate theory that perhaps he had been smoking his pipe in the bathroom when some of the hot ashes fell into his pajamas and caused the fire. Both of these are purely logical explanations. In many instances of apparent spontaneous combustion, skeptics often point to the presence of relatively mundane sources of flames including lit cigarettes, fireplaces, and candles. Couple that with an elderly person who might not be able to move fast enough to put out the blaze, and a lot of these cases seem fairly explainable. In fact, if you read the full account of the death of Contessa de Bandi written by Giuseppe Bianchini, the priest casually mentions at one point the Countess's habit of regularly applying brandy to her skin to smooth her wrinkles. While the Countess may not have been one to consume alcohol, it does appear she liked to rub the flammable liquid all over her body. But that still leaves plenty of open questions about how such a fire could ever become hot enough to turn a human body into ash, all while leaving the surrounding area relatively unburned. People are, after all, essentially bags of water on two legs. We just aren't by nature very flammable. Oftentimes in a typical house fire, even a person who is caught directly in the flames will leave behind a badly charred corpse. Which means the answer to whatever causes spontaneous human combustion remains, dare I say it, hotly debated. There's a man named Larry Arnold who has written extensively about spontaneous human combustion, and he has come up with a number of more out-there theories on how the phenomena occurs. One of his favorite explanations involves what he describes as a variety of heretofore unknown subatomic particle he calls a pyrotron. 
According to Arnold, this tiny particle packs one hell of a punch and occasionally can become unstable and cause a chain reaction of microscopic nuclear explosions he has dubbed the internal Hiroshima effect. His second theory on the cause of spontaneous combustion is taken from Eastern philosophy and involves a spiritual energy known as Kundalini that some mystics believe can become out of balance and generate a massive amount of heat in the form of an erupting plasma ball. Arnold's third theory involves the physical geography of the victims of spontaneous human combustion. He refers to this as the cartography of combustion, and in this theory he claims the victims are all unlucky enough to reside along invisible ley lines spread out across the globe. He believes massive amounts of untapped invisible energy flows along these lines, and when a person spontaneously combusts, they have somehow come in contact with this energy like stepping on a fallen electrical wire. The real problem with any of Larry Arnold's explanations is that none of them appears to have any scientific basis. Today, many mainstream investigators of cases of SHC lean towards a more down-to-earth explanation they call the Wick Effect. In the Wick Effect, the victim, usually an elderly person, falls asleep or perhaps even dies next to a source of combustion, like an errant spark from a fireplace. The fire that results burns slowly through the victim's clothing, superheating the flesh and causing the layers of fat beneath the skin to melt like candle wax. That liquid fat seeps into the fibers of the victim's clothing, creating, in essence, a giant candle wick, which can continue to burn for hours at a time. Because flames rise, that would also explain why the legs of the victims remain unscathed. Although several investigators have tested this theory by trying to reproduce the wick effect on pig carcasses wrapped in human clothes, the results have sometimes been mixed. Although in many instances the carcass is mostly reduced to ash, there are several of these tests in which a great deal more of the charred skeleton remains than is typically found in a lot of suspected cases of spontaneous human combustion. To this, some scientists have thrown in an added variable that may account for how easily some of these victim skeletons have been reduced to ash. Since a large number of the hundreds of reported SHC cases over the years have been elderly, some scientists suspect that osteoporosis in the bones might account for the skeleton burning at a lower temperature than a healthy one might. But even this explanation doesn't account for every report of spontaneous human combustion. Although it's true that many of the cases of SHC involve the elderly, that wasn't the case with Phyllis Newcomb, who was in her 20s at the time of her death. But at the same time, it's impossible to rule out that Newcomb may have simply burned to death after a stray cigarette caused her dress to ignite. But what about other cases where people have caught on fire in front of witnesses? In June 1995, a Vietnam veteran named Frank Baker claimed to have actually lived through spontaneously combusting. Although he earned two Purple Hearts in the war, the man claimed the scariest moment of his life occurred when he was sitting on his couch prepping for a fishing trip alongside a friend of his, when his body began heating up and then suddenly burst into flames. His friend Pete Willie beat at the flames to put them out. Later, when he was at the hospital, the doctor looked visibly shaken when the only explanation for how Frank had caught fire he could come up with was that he had somehow burned from the inside out. A few scientists have suggested that perhaps there is something more to SHC than a lot of skeptics give credit for. Although the human body is largely composed of water, some biologists have put forth explanations involving chemical processes within the body that could potentially combust. One such theory suggests that a methane buildup in the intestines might somehow erupt. Yes, I'm talking about exploding farts. 
There's a British biologist named Brian Ford who came up with an alternate theory involving a bodily process known as ketosis. This is the same chemical process that is well known to low-carb dieters. The idea in Ford's theory is that once the body enters ketosis, the chemical reactions in the system begin producing small amounts of acetones, which are highly flammable and are a key component of, among other things, nail polish remover. Ford believes that if a person is able to produce enough of these acetones in the body, even a small spark of static electricity could cause them to burst into flames. But no matter what the causes of spontaneous human combustion may be, the results are no less terrifying to witnesses. In 2016, a shocking video surfaced on YouTube, allegedly filmed by a passerby on a street in Novi Sad, Serbia. The person with the camera comes across another man who lies there calmly burning to death in the street. On September 13, 1967, firefighters were called to a scene at an abandoned building where they came across the body of a homeless man named Robert Francis Bailey. The firemen reported they found Bailey curled up on the floor, writhing in agony. The man had a four-inch slit in his stomach, and from that erupted blue flames that, according to firefighters, looked like a blowtorch. Bailey was reportedly in so much agony that he bit into a stair post. The fire crew later had to pry open his jaws in order to remove his body from the scene. Then there's the case of 61-year-old Jeannie Saffin. The woman was born with significant mental disabilities and she lived her entire life with her parents in their Edmonton, London home. On September 15, 1982, she was in the kitchen of her parents' home along with her father and brother-in-law, neither of whom were paying much attention to her. That is until they saw a bright light out of the corner of their eyes. They whirled around and saw, much to their horror, the genie was on fire. The two men doused Jeannie with water and called for an ambulance, but it was too late. Jeannie was treated for severe burns for eight days until she eventually died from her injuries. The cause of death was listed as bronchopneumonia due to her burns. The family pushed for the coroner to list the cause of death as spontaneous human combustion, but the man scoffed at this as nonsense. Investigators would later try to downplay the suggestion that SHC was the reason Jeannie died. Some people who have studied the case have tried to explain what happened by saying a breeze from an open window blew the fire from the stove's pilot light, causing Jeannie's clothing to ignite. Or perhaps it was an errant spark from her father's pipe. But Jeannie's father insisted neither of these things was the case. Those people weren't there, and didn't see what he saw. He swore that his daughter's clothing never caught fire, and that the blaze actually came from inside her. He was only a few feet away from her when it all happened and he never wavered from his story of what he had seen with his own eyes and heard with his own ears. Right after the bright flash of light caught his attention, he saw Jeannie's mouth open wide and two things came out of it. The first thing was a terrifying roar louder than anything he had ever heard come from a human being. The next thing that came out of his daughter's mouth was an enormous burst of flames. The best way he could describe it was that it looked like a dragon breathing fire. The Conspirators is written and produced by me, Nate Hale, and Entirely Fictional Identity. Thanks so much for listening. I have several new Patreon supporters to thank. Thank you to Christina, Sophie, Stacy, and Samantha. You're all on my nice list this Christmas. Just a reminder, the patrons of the show get access to all sorts of bonuses, including stickers, magnets, t-shirts, signed cards by yours truly, and our patron-exclusive mini-episodes. 
If you're interested in helping support the show, I'll put a link in the show notes. Another great way you can help support The Conspirators is to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. Every rating and review we get helps spread the good word about the show and raises us up in Apple's magical rankings. If you're not on Apple, you can also find us on Stitcher, Google Play, and many of your other favorite podcast apps. We also have a website, theconspiratorspodcast.com, where you can hear our entire catalog of shows. Check us out on social media. There you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and our Facebook page. You can even drop us a line at theconspiratorspodcast at gmail.com and let us know how we're doing. Now, before we go, I want to mention a couple of my fellow podcasters. Recently, my friend Erica, who's the host of the excellent Southern Fried True Crime podcast, lost her mother. I wanted to express my deepest condolences to Erica and her family for their loss. and just wanted to say how much we're all thinking of her. On a related note, I wanted to direct your attention to another podcast. Tony Plattis was the host of the wonderfully bawdy Dirty Bits podcast in which she and her husband George discussed the naughtiest and most scandalous tales from history. But that show came to an end not long ago after her husband, George, died. Now Tawny is hosting a new podcast titled Death is Hilarious, in which she talks openly about her grief in a frank and sometimes even funny way. If you've ever had to deal with the death of a loved one or just missed the dirty bits, I recommend you check the show out and show Tawny some love. One thing I think this world could always use more of is more hope and more love. Thanks for joining us on my show. We'll be back on a regular schedule after the new year. And if you're listening to this when it comes out, happy holidays, happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, or however else you choose to celebrate the season. I'll be talking to you soon.